Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode featuring actor Lisa Beasley of the Lisa B Experience is sponsored by the CPAS Foundation. CPAS Foundation, creating pathways and access for student success, was created to attract, encourage, educate, guide, and increase the number of promising yet underrepresented Illinois students in STEM and STEAM-related professions. STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. The A in STEAM adds arts to the mix. CPAS Foundation is committed to providing a strong educational foundation and exclusive access to career development resources for students. Visit cpassfoundation.org. Welcome to the Honest Field Guide podcast, a weekly show dedicated to winning in entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Ginger Birkenbuehl. I'm the CEO of Burt Creative, a leadership, brand strategy, and visual identity agency dedicated to helping scale brands and assist with their adaptability with the market. On my show, you get to eavesdrop in on intimate conversation with business leaders and inspired entrepreneurs designed to give you tips and strategies so your own business can thrive. Subscribe and join me each week for laughter, inspiration, and honest stories. everybody. Welcome back to my show, The Honest Field Guide Podcast. I am Ginger Birkenbuehl. And as usual, you could be anywhere in the world online, but you're choosing to listen and subscribe to my show, The Honest Field Guide Podcast. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to my show on Apple Podcasts, or you can listen right from your browser on Google Podcasts by searching The Honest Field Guide. Please share my podcast with your friends too. The more people that hear my show, the better for my guests. And I would love it, love it, love it if you would leave a review of my show on Apple Podcast. I would love that. I haven't had a review in a long time, but I have to admit, I haven't asked for a long time. So I'm now asking to leave a review for the Honest Field Guide podcast. Okay, so these are absolutely crazy times. You know, I'm finding myself looking for really short quips lots of entertainment these days. I'm like, I need to laugh at something. You know, I laugh at my kids and I laugh with my kids and I laugh at myself sometimes, but I'm like, you know, I just need some levity. So I find myself going to Instagram and TikTok to see what's going on, to see what crazy things people are doing. So back in August, I stumbled across the channel of this woman And she was doing an impersonation. I believe it at the time, it was Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who's the mayor of Chicago. And I was laughing so hard. I think I literally fell off my chair. And I was like, oh my God, who in the heck is this woman? Like, who is this comedian? And I started following her and she's sharp-witted. Her commentaries on Black people's experiences 
I mean, it kind of reminds me of how I felt when I first discovered Erin Magruder. I thought, oh my gosh, she's like tapped into like the main line of like black culture in ways that like, I don't think anybody can really explain the way she's doing it. And I always find something really amazing to relate to when I see her on Instagram and TikTok. And I always laugh. It's always funny. She's on the money. Lisa is also an entrepreneur. She has a company called the Lisa B Experience. The Lisa B Experience started as a blog and entertainment website featuring Lisa Beasley and her friends. 11 years later, Lisa B Experience is a creative playground for extraordinarily talented individuals who believe in the healing power of laughter, creativity, and limitless self-expression. The mission is to empower artists to create without fear, spark social change by existing, and to uplift the spirit of others. Lisa B Experience is a creative home and creation of my guest, Lisa Beasley. Lisa, 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 welcome to my show. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. Thank you. I am so glad you're here because you are an incredibly talented and super, super busy entrepreneur. I'm amazed at all the things you're doing. And, you know, and can I just say you're also a mother, which is like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I want to understand how you became Lisa B. And I really want to understand like what was happening in your early childhood, because I think back to stories I hear Jim Carrey telling about what is happening around the kitchen table with his family and his father. I mean, do you consider yourself a comedian? And did that start at the kitchen table? You know, how did you become Lisa B.? Yeah, I definitely consider myself a comedian. I consider myself an actor, too. A lot of people don't know that I actually set out to be a dramatic actor. And it's cool the way my path is going. That's going to inevitably eventually happen because we've discovered that comedians can make us laugh and cry. So I'm ready for that to come in its own time. But yes, I'm the baby of the family. And for me, it was about why is everybody so serious? Why are these adults so stressed? What's going on? And just being an aloof child. And being the observer of the actions of adults and everybody older than you, I just found the comedy in it. Also, I come from a place where that's all we do is crack jokes. Every conversation, because it's either that or focus on your poverty. So I just grew up in a place where me and my friends were always cracking jokes, always making people laugh. And I felt in my house a pressure to put a smile on people's faces because I wanted people to be happy and I didn't understand why people wasn't happy. (laughs) So like how young were you when you started recognizing you could make people laugh? I think somewhere around middle school when I became aware that, oh, I'm funny and I'm making people laugh because I was very smart and I didn't know it. So I would finish my work early. And so I was the person that would be the class clown because I got all of my work done. And so I would just be finding ways to entertain myself because I was bored. And so my seventh grade English teacher, Miss Moffitt, was the one that recognized it. And she told my mom, like, yo, you might want to consider a performing arts school or a gifted and talented program because she's bored (laughs) and she's disrupting the class. So where did you grow up? Gary, Indiana. Oh, my goodness. Okay, okay, You were in Gary. I mean, you feel very Chicago to me. Yeah, you know, I had a show this past Monday and I had told the audience, I was like, hey, I got some news. 
I'm not going to call it good or bad, but I think y'all should know I'm not from Chicago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it, <laughs> it was like this big gasp. I almost felt like I betrayed them a little bit, but then I told them I was from Gary and they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> They're like, Gary, it's like, it is yeah, a betrayal. It is. It's like, what? How could you? And I've never felt like a fraud or an imposter because it's like, hey, I'm from Gary, Indiana, and nobody in Chicago knows that experience. And we're like the South side of the South side. And it's almost more acceptable to be from Gary and say you're from Chicago than to be from like a country club Hills or Naperville or any like other suburb of Chicago. Right, right. Wow. So how big is your family? Were you the only one that was funny? No, here's the thing. Everybody in my family is funny. And I think I just I'm the one that decided to do it for a living. I grew up, it was me, my brother, and my sister. I'm the youngest. And then my mom and my dad. And we were always cracking jokes. It's just that Black family activity that I could always depend on, where we're going to be cracking jokes about somebody or just find something funny. And I think growing up where we did, how we did, you almost had to. So you didn't feel out of place then. You didn't feel different. Like a lot of times when I talk to artists, and I do think you're an artist, but I know you're an actor as well. A lot of artists, when, they're, when they think back to their childhood, they felt very different and out of place. It doesn't sound like you did. No, I didn't feel different and out of place until I started talking to white people when I was 21. Mm. So Gary, I grew up around all black people and church was a very huge part of my life. I mean... We were churched. Churched. Monday night choir rehearsal, Tuesday midday Bible study, Wednesday night youth, Thursday praise dance, Saturday early morning choir praise team, Sunday cert. We were churched. It was a huge activity for the first 18 years of my life. So there was a big community there too. And we went to a non denominational church. So for me back then, all the indoctrination stuff aside, all the things that I had to question in adulthood, it'd be like, why did it make me believe that? All of that aside, it was really fun because I was around a lot of my peers and we were all doing like essentially performing arts at church. We didn't look at it that way. It was thought of as ministry. But for us, it was like, yo, we dancing and singing and acting and miming and stepping. And <laughs> it was just like a lot of stuff. So I was always around a group of my peers because if I wasn't at school, that I was with my church friends. So I always just had a media group of peers to clown with, to joke around with, to have fun, to create. So it wasn't until I went to acting school when I was 21, because I went to an all black college as well. And that was another like well of just great experiences. That was the first time I realized that like black people are different and we come from different parts of the country. We're different. So I was having fun and embracing that type of diversity. Yeah, it wasn't until I was 21 that I integrated myself into society, that I started to feel like, what? Everybody doesn't like me? What's going on? <laughs> mm, interesting. So I'm also just listening to you, you know, talk about, you know, you didn't feel different. You felt relatively normal until you got older. It also sounds like you were able to laugh at yourself and laugh at whatever was happening around you. One of the things that one of my girlfriends told me years ago was, you know, sometimes black people can't laugh at themselves and we need to just start doing this, you know? And I never really understood what she meant. And I still sometimes wonder what she means by that. But it sounds like you and your family and the people around you, you were always laughing. And I, I just, I say that because I think to myself, 
was I laughing that much? I mean, I don't think I was. I mean, I had a lot of laughter in my childhood and a lot of music. And, you know, I'm from an interracial family, not exclusively black family. So, you know, we had a lot of challenges around that. But it sounds like you just were very comfortable with laughing and observing and taking in information and things like that. Yeah, I think one thing that I noticed, and I can only gain this wisdom in hindsight, is that for me, comedy is one of my natural gifts. So the cool thing about me and my career and my trajectory and where this is all going is that my job just so happens to also be my gift. So I've always had the gift of laughter. And I don't always look at that like the gift to make people laugh, but the ability to laugh. And when I think on it, the things that I find funny sometimes are so ridiculous. And I used to think that I was missing a bigger part of the picture. And then I find out that I've always found the ridiculous to be funny. And growing up in Gary, Indiana, during the 90s, when it was the murder capital of the world, there was a lot of ridiculous stuff happening that I remember even at nine, I would be like, what? (laughs) This is crazy. Like there was this one time we had an assembly. We show up to this assembly and there was a casket in the front. And there's this pastor doing this very like, you know, stop killing each other. Stay off the streets. You don't want to get involved. Because at that time, the high schoolers were full of shenanigans. So it's like, don't grow up in a couple of years and start killing people. So they had this casket there. And then at the end, we all line up so we could do this viewing. You walk up to the casket. It's a mirror inside. When you go up there, you're in line and you're behind people, you see people's reactions that's way ahead of you. And you're like, what's in that casket that's making people like cry? And they were having these emotional moments of like, it could be me in that casket. And I just remember thinking, this is so ridiculous. We're only nine years old. I should be playing. (laughs) Why is this casket here? This is what the is going on <laughs> i'm trying not to laugh but <laughs> it's, it was ridiculous we were 10 years old ginger we were 10 years i was nine years old and here's this man in a suit yelling at me at 11 o'clock in the morning and making me go look at my reflection in a casket that shit is ridiculous <laughs> so yeah we laughing about that when we get home I mean, like that would be like traumatizing for some people, but for you, it was not. (laughs) And and I think, you know, so in comedy, you have this whole like tragedy plus time equals comedy. My life was groomed in tragedy. So the luxury of having the plus time factor really wasn't there for me. So you just get instant comedy. It's just like, I've always had this feeling of What is going on? Because I didn't understand how I navigated the world through a black woman until my late 20s, where I realized like, oh, this is hard because I'm a black woman. Oh, oh, they don't like me because I'm. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. So but in the whole time, you think it's you. So having this innate sense of like, this isn't how this should be. For some reason, my reaction is to laugh. And when I think about it, like it was some pretty scary stuff happening back then. But since I grew up in it and it was my life, it was fun. So me and my brother, we would walk to my auntie's house after school every day. And I remember one time these two dudes uh, bust out into a fight. 
And so as elementary school kids, we're like, like, yeah, get them. We're cheering them on. And it's fun for us. We're seeing like these adult men scuffle. So we're cheering them on. We're cheering them on. And then this one dude is like, I'm about to go to my trunk. And as elementary school kids, we knew what that meant. And we just happily ran away. We was like, oh, now it's time to run. So we don't get shot. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> So like my idea of fun back the then heck? is way different. <laughs> like I mean, the someone thing. says, I'm about to go to my trunk. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. And we're like, oh, wow. we got to go. Or else we're going to die. And then we make fun out of like, who can run the fastest away from the man who's about to pull out a gun? So <laughs> it's just like, you know, when I think about fun for us would be like, oh, there's this house that always has this Doberman. Let's agitate the Doberman and see if it gets loose and chases us. And so <laughs> it was it was interesting. You know, you're telling your stories and I'm trying to find the difference between funny and optimism. You know, what you're describing is optimism and hope and, you know, not giving up. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, acting was the thing in my life that introduced me to other things outside of Gary. So when I was five, I watched House Party. And that's because that's around the time where you're watching whatever the oldest person in the room is watching on TV. That's what everybody's watching. So I'm five and I'm watching House Party. And I just remember thinking, wow, these people look like they're having so much fun. And I understood that it was pretend and that it wasn't real and that they found a house to shoot this in or I know they shot the movie in California. So it's like, that's a palm tree. I've never seen that type of tree, but something telling me that tree exists in the world. So I would watch a lot of TV. I was also a latchkey kid. So I watched a lot of TV and it was my way of understanding that there was a world outside of Gary and that mountains existed because we didn't do much traveling. We only went to Arkansas in the summer. So I always had a sense of like, oh, there's more out there and I'm going to go see it. I don't know when, how or mm. what, but it's like, this isn't it. This isn't all there is. Wow. When Growing up in Gary, I thought the majority of America was black. Wow. Yeah. For how long? Girl, embarrassingly long. Are you serious? I mean, I'm like sitting here like, what? It's wild because being educated and churched by black people for the first 21 years of my life there's so much black history taught like i remember this white girl from texas being like yeah we never talked about emmett till ever who is that and i was shocked i was shocked i was like what have y'all been learning then because they thankfully and, and i'm thankful for it but i got these black facts drilled into me it's like you're gonna know where you're from you're going to know how we got here. You're going to know the prominent figures. You're going to know our holidays. You're going to know the ins and outs of all these historical stories that made us black in America. And I didn't really give a shit about regular history because to me, American history is black history. And you thought that then? Yes. Mm. So I understood like our place in the world and in the society. But I, for some reason, as a child, thought it was more of us. I thought we were everywhere. So doing comedy in my 20s was the most wild ride of gut-wrenching explorations and discoveries ever. Because the thing people forget, we know now when we're adults, that teenagers are very self-involved and it's all about them. 
It was all about me and my life and the people that was around me. I knew white people existed, but I did not know about the numbers and the statistics because I didn't have a need to study that for myself until I was uncomfortable in this world. So like, talk about that place because you've mentioned it a couple of times. You also said you went to an all black college. Where did you go to college and why did you choose that path? I mean, this is sort of a continuation of your black education, I feel like. Yeah. So I was in a program called Running Rebels where we were able to take college credit during high school that would be applied to these certain list of schools that we were open to apply for scholarship. And a part of the program was you get to tour these schools. And so there was a lot of smaller HBCUs on the list and a couple of predominantly white institutions. I remember visiting Elmhurst and being like, damn, this cafeteria is big as hell. And then I went to Rust, to Tougaloo, and then Lamont on College. What it came down to was Lamont on College was the only school that gave me a full ride for music. I could have gotten like a partial academic scholarship other places, but it was really about that full ride. And it was in Memphis. And my mom's family is from Blackville, Arkansas, which is an hour away. So it just made sense to me that if I'm leaving home for the first time, I'm going to go to Memphis where I know I have family that's an hour away. And so that's how it just kind of all aligned and worked out. And when you were in this school, though, you still hadn't really been faced with white people? No, because it was an all black school. And even through Gary and middle school, high school, college, there was always just like that, those one or two white people. And that was it. And, you know, we had white teachers, but the majority of teachers in elementary school for me were white. And that's kind of how it was for the majority of people. So, yeah, there wasn't much integration on that front for me for the first 21 years of my life. And it makes sense why I'm so bold now, because I do, especially in my 20s, walked around with a sense of the like, what? (laughs) Being genuinely confused at people's confusion about my existing. So you went to college, you graduated, got a degree. And I heard you say music. And I also was listening to one of your tech talks. You were a jazz major, Mm -hmm. I think, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, when did this start forming within you, this recognition, understanding that, oh, well, I guess I am different because I'm a black woman. It crept in post-college when I started going to acting school in LA. So I knew that if I was going to go to college, I wanted to major in something that I actually wanted to learn because I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit and I always knew that I didn't want to work for anybody. And by this time, I also knew that college was just a gateway for me to do what I wanted to do. And I wanted to learn more about music because I wanted to be a singer initially was my first career choice. And I had no restraints, jazz band, opera singing, clarinet, classical clarinet, choir, soul band, I'd hop on the saxophone in this band. I'd be alto in this type of band. And then as far as the student leadership is concerned, I got to plan events for the entire student body, like no restraint. 21, I go to L.A. for acting school. And all of a sudden, it's like restraint city. And wait, you had graduated by then or you were continuing your education for your undergraduate degree, right? I graduated college and then did post-education for acting school because I figured Instead of me going to get my master's, I could spend two years really studying my profession. 
Because there was no master's at the end of that. It was just a certificate. And why L.A.? My best friend had went to L.A. to the acting school. And at that time, I just had a sense of that's where the industry is. That's where the action is. If I really want to do this, I'm going to have to be there. And knowing that somebody I knew had went there was comforting. So that's why I chose that place. Got it. Got it. Okay, so then you get to L.A. and this like liberated life you were leading came to a screeching halt. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like what happened? It sounds traumatic. <laughs> it suddenly every single thing I did was a problem. Suddenly the way I talked was a problem. The way I did my hair was a problem. The way my face looked was a problem. Like the way I move, everything I did was an issue and it would come out in these classes. So that would look like we're in ballet class. And they're like, yo, tuck the booty. I'm like, I got an arch in my back and I got an ass. This booty ain't getting tucked. So like that was a problem. Then there was this one class that was called International Phonetic Alphabet, where we're supposed to learn different dialects. And I remember thinking, especially after a dialect was explained, I remember thinking like, oh, okay, so my dialect is a culmination of my dad having a Jamaican father and my mom being raised in the South. And I have a dialect that's specific to the Midwest region. No, I, my teacher didn't think so. She just flat out was like, you're pronouncing shit wrong. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> and you and you over here trying to teach me Cockney? Like, whoa. <laughs> so you mean to tell me I could be like, what is the blazing bullocks? In the mo-? And that's okay. So I was very angry and it was easier to take it from students because I was able to understand like, yo, you grew up where you grew up and you had no choice. These adults, however, but the students would be like, yo, can I touch your skin? And I remember being flabbergasted into compliance where at the same time, I would just be reaching out my arm like, well, yeah, while thinking at the same time, like, bitch, you ain't never... What the what? (laughs) Do you think something's about to rub off or or like you you touch it and it's going to like ripple? I don't I don't know if you touch it, it's going to ripple. Yeah. And it was just like a lot of. And then with the references. Yeah. I mean, being a black one myself. I mean, yeah, that kind of thing is just like Mm -hmm. it's endless, you know, but you sort of, you know, turn it into something completely different, which is why I love watching you because you're somehow able to take the everyday indecencies that happen to us as black women and turn it into real astute, subtle, nuanced, but right on target commentary. I appreciate that. Do you feel like that's the place where you hone that skill? Or I mean, where did that come from? Because I feel like, I mean, first of all, when you talk about your childhood, you as a child looked out the window and saw something different and you saw something like a dream, but you said, it's not really a dream. It's real. I'm going to go find it. And I've heard this type of story time and time again from very young people who grew up in difficult environments, but somehow they got out of these environments. First, they escaped from their mind. Their mind got them out. That's the first place it started. And then they physically were able to move on. And, you know, you were in L.A., and these things were happening to you, but it didn't crush you. I mean, L.A. is a place that crushes people. They get destroyed. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, maybe there was a moment where you were being destroyed. But in that destruction, something was emerging. Did you sense anything at that point of where you were going to be headed? Or were you just like, maybe I've made the wrong decision? I was angry as 
hell for <laughs> I was mad. <laughs> I felt pure anger. I was mad. You were because like, there was nothing else happening. I was just dark raving mad. <laughs> I was pissed off. I wasn't sad. I wasn't like, they don't like. I was straight out the gate pissed because one, it was like, yo, this is my way out. How dare you f- my way out? Like I'm over here escaping poverty and body bags and you're over here trying to discuss my skin. Bitch, I got to learn this monologue so I can pass this class and act. And then when it came to the teachers and the type of roles they wanted to assign me, that was the start of me using art to cuss people out. And so the first version of that was spoken word. So I took all my frustrations from class. And I remember, matter of a fact, I started the spoken word thing there. Like they have a class now because I started doing spoken word there. And that's a whole other discussion because I should be paid for that. But anyway, I would go and do performances and rip those teachers to shreds. And nobody could do anything to me because it was honest, it was true, and it was good. Because I used to want to be a ghostwriter for rappers. That's something nobody saw. Like, a bitch got bars, okay? So I would do these poems. And I remember one specifically in the writing of the poem before I knew I was even going to perform it. It was very cathartic. Because I was able to tell that teacher who told me that I talked wrong. I remember the line. I said, well, if your great, great, great granddaddy had to let my great, great granddaddy read, maybe we wouldn't be in this predicament. Maybe I would Mm -hmm. be talking like you. You remember Mm -hmm. slavery? So Mm -hmm. I was able to take all of that angst and put it into clever poetry. And they ate it up. When did you transform from that experience? I mean, you continued on and you took classes and you were learning to become an actor. You must have put your jazz to the side. When did you start deciding or when did you start getting signals that you were headed in the right direction? Like, what did you see that made you say, "Okay, I figured this out. I'm heading here. When I decided to leave L.A. six months after I graduated, I wasn't doing anything but trying to live in L.A. And so it was one of my first humbling experiences of going back home because I can't afford to live here. I was working at an after school program in Bel Air and what it took me to get to there. I had to like take a train, a bus and walk a mile to get to the school. And I wasn't making any money. I could barely keep up with rent. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So let me go home. And the goal was to work on graphic design and save and maybe try to move back out there again. But that's when I started auditioning in Chicago. So Getting my first play in Chicago let me know that I was on the right track. But again, my talent has always let me know that I was on the right track because I always knew I could sing really well. I can act very well. I'm very talented. I'm great at taking directions. And on stage, I'm just really good. So for school, it wasn't about teaching me how to do the things, but giving me the space to have the reps to get better. So One of the first signs of like, okay, I am in the right track is I booked the first play that I auditioned for. And from there, it was just constant back to back to I was like, I'm in this world now. Because the thing is, once you get in, you're around the resources that show you what to do next. So the switch flipped. It was like it flipped at that point when you got to Chicago. I mean, Chicago is great for people that are starting out to help get them to the next level. I mean, that's how I started my business in Chicago. I mean, I would never have gotten where I am today were it not for the chops I developed in Chicago. I completely believe in that philosophy 100%. 
I see you, Lisa, as an observer, and you're able to take things you see and convert them into stories and messages and observations that resonate and make sense. What I love about your snippet content, you know, your shorts, you know, however you'd like to call, I don't know what you call them, but how I look at them is that you're able to take basic situations and ask it in a question. You'll say, you know, what does this mean? Or why is this happening? And I want to understand a little bit more about that process and experience for you. And how are you able to do that? I'm not asking you like, how do you become an actor? How do you, how do you become an artist? But are you open all the time? Or are you just walking around like a sponge and writing things down? Because some of your observations are so incredibly nuanced, but somehow powerful and just sort of smack you in the face. Like, why didn't I think of that? Yes. She's like, she is, that is everything what she just said. And it's always with humor. So what's interesting is I don't write anything down. Hmm. Okay. So a quick comedy that I do on the internet really is me popping in in the moment because that is what I'm thinking at that moment. And I think that comes from at one point in my life, I thought if I didn't understand anything, I thought that it's because I was dumb and not because that thing didn't make sense. So, for example, when I was growing up, you know, we learned about Anne Frank and Hitler and all of that. And I just remember being so confused when I heard about like the pure race. And I was like, that can't be why he did all that. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So I would ask questions and be like, what? And even things with like the economy and money, things that don't make sense because they're man-made, I question them. And honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with I have ADHD And I haven't delved too deep into where I fall on the autism spectrum, but there is some spectrum activity there. So a lot of normalities and niceties of our culture genuinely do not make sense to me. And I am genuinely questioning them. And the way my brain works is I connect a lot of dots very quickly. So sometimes what you're hearing is not all the dots that has been connected. So I'll say a sentence and then my brain, a trillion dots have connected that leads to the next sentence. And when those two sentences are put right next to each other, I could see how for the listener, it could be like, yo, whoa, how'd you get there? Because my brain is moving that fast and connecting all the dots in the world. (laughs) I love it. I mean, I love that I'm not the only one that has noticed this about your form of comedy. I think it's brilliant and it's really what keeps me following you and listening to your messaging. I heard you talk, you know, about something happening in business with black people in procurement. And I thought, oh my gosh, I mean, (laughs) she is really an entrepreneur. So what is happening in your entrepreneur life? Do you consider your appearances on shows an entrepreneurial life? I mean, you're an entrepreneur, you're an actor, you're on this amazing TV show you have multiple characters. How do you divide these things up in your lives? Or is this your Lisa B experience? All of it. So this is a great question. It's actually something I could nerd out on. I look at everything I do through the entrepreneurial lens. So what that looks like is about to throw a lot of corporate sounding words. Up there. I love corporate sounding words because that's where I come from. So go ahead yeah. and lay it on me. So like creating sustainable models that can allow a business to function that allow room for projected growth is what I'm doing. Wow. Okay. Now that, 
I know. I love it. I know. So like, for example, with the characters. So me, Lisa Beasley, the artist, I look at it like I am couched under my production company. So like eventually when I start picking up other people's shows and producing other people's works, I'm the blueprint for how I'm doing that in my company. I look at myself as an artist under my own company. It just so happens that it's me. So I look at everything that I do as like different streams of revenue for the same business. When I look at Lisa Beasley, the actor, and other people are giving me opportunities, I look at those kind of like partnerships because I don't work for anyone. And the things that I do outside of that work marketing wise to help build more of those partnerships. So if I'm looking at the live show that I do, that's a separate piece of revenue for my business, but it's also a great marketing tool that gets me more access to auditions and people wanting to work with me because I don't have a traditional team, like a manager. I have my Chicago agents for commercials and stuff like that, but I don't have like your typical Hollywood management because we couldn't get on the same page because they couldn't understand all of this stuff I'm telling you right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Right. Well, you had the wrong people. (laughs) Definitely not the right people. Exactly. So like my characters, I look at each character like an individual product under the brand that's Lisa Beasley. So you have here's Lisa Beasley, the person, and all of these product offerings come with it. So you have Margaret Thatcher, Lori Lightfoot, Beyonce, Jay-Z. And my whole thing is, you should be able to always widen out and expand on something that's a part of my organization. So I very much take a very methodical business entrepreneurial minded approach to all of this, because what's happening now, I figured out what my formula for success is, which for me is talent plus consistency plus money. And now that I have money, I'm able to reinvest in certain projects that have legs, I'm able to follow momentum. That's another thing. I really understand timing and momentum. So it's one of the reasons why to be on my team, you have to understand that I'm going to be on timing and momentum side all the time, not this three-month plan we drafted. Right. Well, you know, what I love about all of this is that entrepreneurship can be so many things and people are underestimating the power and value of it, whether you're dealing with companies that don't understand entrepreneurs and they're afraid to hire them. They're afraid they're going to take their jobs or whatever, or just sort of the broader conversation around what is entrepreneurship? I mean, I feel like a big part of it is curiosity, which you didn't mention as one of your pillars. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. a curious person. You're an amazing observer. You're able to pick up nuances. And these are the skills I believe can make or break you if you are going to go down the path of running your own businesses. You know, you have to be curious and you have to observe things and you have to be tapped in to change and to your future and other futures. You just have to have this openness to experience and see things and want to know things in order to be successful. And you're not afraid of all these different avenues and pathways. You're not looking at one path as the only solution. You're looking at multiple paths for multiple solutions and you're not intimidated by all of that. You know, you mentioned earlier you have ADHD. I think that's phenomenal. I think it's a superpower and people are sometimes not realizing how amazing it is to have a mind that can manage multiple thoughts at the same time and and actually convert that to money, which is what you've done. And I think it's phenomenal. I also believe we're in an environment now where 
if you have talent and you have curiosity and you have some basic business skills, why not turn that into your own ecosystem of creation? You know, and I feel that some people are just not tapping into that space enough, especially black people. A lot of people are waiting for permission and a lot of people are waiting for an invisible power handoff that doesn't exist. Exactly. Exactly. So let me switch gears a little bit. I would love to talk to you about your characters and characters in general. I love characters. It's something that I did without costumes doing improv for so long. And I didn't add the costumes until the pandemic. So doing it with that layer is so much fun. What I think about characters, I I love it. I love characters. If you have the ability to manipulate your voice in any way, or do something that makes you just look a little different. And you'd be surprised. Like I'm watching Moon Knight right now on Disney Plus. And the character. So good. So right? good. It's you, so good. Right? All he has to do is just hunch over a little bit. And it's like that's Steven. So it's just like. Transformation completely. Yeah, it's so cool. I grew up insecure about my looks. So I really love where I am now to understand the comedy in my face. And to be able to be like, wow, I can take a snatch photo and be really cute, but I can also make some really cool faces. And I'm not afraid to make those faces. I think a lot of times people don't do characters because they're afraid of looking ugly. You know, but the thing is, like, so you have this extraordinary transformation. You know, Jim Carrey talks a lot about it. He's had in the past. He's one of my favorite actors. But you seem to embrace characters and you're really excellent at that complete transformation So what are your top three right now? My top three is Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Kevin Jackson. And man, if I had to choose a third, it would be Jay-Z. Wow. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. And so when you choose these characters, I mean, first of all, did they choose you? I mean, how did you even get to this place? And you must do a lot of research. Some of them definitely choose me where... Something happens where when I watch TV and I watch movies, especially if I binge something or watch something for over an hour, I get into the mood of that movie and it's hard for me to come out of it. For like example, Margaret Thatcher's voice, since I binged the show. Hilarious. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and it's one of those things, too, where people on a spectrum are very good at mimicking other people. And a lot of people don't know that. So... This is also true of me. If I were just to be around you for hours, I would pick up a lot of your mannerisms. And sometimes, yeah, yeah. It's the whole idea of mirroring. When your brain works in a way where you don't understand niceties, you are constantly looking for how to behave in the world. And so I become really good at mirroring. So like with that, if I hear that voice long enough and I'm like, this woman is crazy. And then how it really goes is I'll get swept up in it. I'll notice that that character kind of already lives in me. And then I start entertaining myself. And then when, <laughs> and then when I'm sorry, I'm, but you're saying this and I'm thinking about Mayor Lightfoot when you're saying this. Yeah. Because yeah. you're channeling of her. It's beautiful. It's hilarious. Then there's love in it. It's, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's not hateful. And I'm not saying that because I'm shilling for the mayor, but I just know in your characters, there is a love in the characters. They're not hostile. Yeah. And they're not vicious. What I've discovered is I found a piece of myself in every character that I portray. So with Lori Lightfoot, 
in particular, in certain areas of my life, I could resonate with being a failure. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I I could resonate with a bunch of people being like, yo, what are you doing? (laughs) That's not how we do things. Oh, my God. All right. Well, you know, I swear you are so gifted (laughs) and you give a gift. I'm telling you, and you already know this. I mean, you're an actor, you're a comedian, you're an entrepreneur, and above all, most importantly, you are a black woman. You know that when you help someone laugh, that is like, that is almost 50 times better than like an orgasm. I mean, I'm serious. I'm just going to (laughs) be honest. Like, seriously, it is like, it's true. I'm sure. I mean, it's really true. It's hard to be yourself and still help people have laughter. And I think that that is a gift that I know you honor it because you do it so well. I do. And how I've started to honor it specifically is, especially in a pandemic where it's like, I can't be in front of audiences all the time or bookings on the TV side are slow. I've taken to honoring the fact that like, Lisa, you make people laugh every single day. Yeah. Whether it's just like a small interaction are making my daughter laugh or like my friends. Laughter is around me every, wow, I'm getting emotional. Laughter is around me every single day. And I cannot imagine a life without laughter because I'm laughing all day, every day. And yes, the tears are there. The feelings are there. The emotions are there. The confusions are there. But like, what a gift to be able to put a smile on people's face. Like it's health benefits to laughing. And I really do appreciate when people come to my shows, especially in COVID time, because for me to leave my house is hard. So when people leave their house, it's because I know they want to laugh. And like, it's such a basic thing that everybody should have the right to do. And I'm so glad that I get to be the one to usher in the laughter. Like I'm on the giving end of the laughter. And a part of it, too, is also selfish. I think I'm really funny. And it's one thing my mom used to always be like, it's like, Lisa, you can't laugh at your own jokes. And I'm like, but it's funny. (laughs) Exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, I need to laugh. I love to laugh. And the reason why I honor it, because what makes it a gift is you're not always doing it on purpose. And I'm like, that's amazing that I came equipped with communicating in a way that makes people laugh. And that's dope because it could have been crying. I could be trying to use all of my energy on like, damn, every time I open my mouth, people feel bad. And there are people like that. That's their mm-hmm. gift. <laughs> that yeah, is, yeah, That is their gift. It's really sad. I mean, I hear people talk all the time about, you know, you have gifts and it can go one way or another. You could be having a gift to create evil or, or have a gift to create good. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to ask you some really dumb questions because um, I love this conversation. I really wish we could talk longer. And we are going to be having a LinkedIn Live coming up really soon. I'm a LinkedIn creator, so I'm excited about that. But I want to ask you some really, really dumb questions that started coming out of the pandemic for me. When I was in the pandemic, when we were trapped at home, I cannot believe how much cereal I ate with my kids. (laughs) And I want to know, what is your favorite cereal? This seems dumb, but you know... Do you have one? I actually had someone tell me they don't even eat cereal. I couldn't I, believe it. So here's the thing. I eat my cereal dry. What? Wait, with a bowl and a spoon? 
just give me the box. All I need is a box. <laughs> and I will sit and eat an entire box of kicks in one sitting. Grainy cereals with just a little sugar. It's something about kicks and checks. Don't honey tell me n- you do grape nuts. No, nah, I do honey nut checks. Oh, wow. Okay. I do, I'm a lucky charm girl. Kicks is a luxury. I don't allow myself to do because I'll fuck up the whole box. Ooh, I love me some <laughs> kicks. Oh, kid tested, mother approved. Oh. <laughs> And what have you read these days? Are you reading any books or what's going on on the reading front? Oh, yeah. So I'm reading a lot of fiction. I'm back to fiction. I love reading books. So I was in the airport and I saw that Stacey Abrams is an author that writes. I did not know that. Yo, she writes under the pen name Selena Montgomery. And she has like these black romance novels out. She's a whole author. Yeah. So I was like, I got to read this. <laughs> mm, is it a fast read? Yeah, it's a pretty fast, simple read. It's like okay. detective, mysterious woman. We're solving something together. Do we like each other? <laughs> we finally had sex at the oh end. My God. That type of book. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then what are you working on right now? What's happening in the future? Are you working on another South Side? Is it over or are you working on something different? Oh, well, I won't let them be done with me. So I know they're writing season three now. God, I love that show so much. Uh, I, it's so funny. I love it's, it. And I loved so you funny. in it. I loved Thank it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Actors won't tell you, but typically when they're in a show, they just watch their part and they don't watch the whole show. But I binged all two seasons. I feel like it's our office. I feel like it's a show you could watch anytime, out of order, anytime. And it's always funny. So I always try to drop subtle hints for them to put me in season three. I DM the creators probably two, three times a week. Like, it was good. (laughs) I love, I mean, Uh, that show, I watched it with my kids. I mean, it's completely hilarious. It's really, really on target. It's on time and the humor is phenomenal. And it's so beautiful how, in my opinion, it's kind of what you were talking about earlier, you know, making humor out of some very dark, dark concepts, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and still somehow there's still a lining of optimism, which is what makes comedy so great. There's always this lining of optimism. Well, Lisa, I have really enjoyed talking to you. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I'd love to talk to you more. And you are so busy and you are completely blowing up. And I want everybody to check out Lisa. Her Instagram is Lisa B. Volving. And I'm going to put things in the show notes and you can find out where else to find her. She's also got a great presence on TikTok, slightly different than her Instagram channel. I think her most recently funniest Instagram is between her character of Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Kamala Harris. Oh my (laughs) goodness. You will will die at the two of them (laughs) laughing at their own jokes, which is something that Lisa's mom said never to do, but you will laugh because they're laughing. It's irresistible, you know, so everybody should go check it out. And thank you for coming to the Honest Field Guide podcast. Really looking forward to having you next time. And Lisa, thank you for coming. I am Ginger. I'm Lisa. And we'll talk to you next time. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carol. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only. Please do your own research.